Crosby AMFM News Center. Good afternoon and welcome to another edition of Money Talk. I'm Neil Kreisel and Diane Duvernay, your host every week right here on AM 1290, FM 96.9, and streaming at AM 1290KZSB.com. We're repeated at 11 and on Saturdays at 6. We're brought to you by American Riviera Bank, smart banking for smart people in Santa Barbara, at Figueroa and Anacapa Streets, and in Montecito's Upper Village. At Arlington Financial Advisors, a a leading wealth management firm in Santa Barbara, providing its clients with a personal care and attention of a small independent firm coupled with the vast resources of a major financial institution. So, Neil, how are you holding up today? You know, another day without the sun, you must be, you know, really losing it. Well, I see an orange thing in the sky. I'm not sure what that is. But it just kind of, well, no, it's gone. It's gone. It was, it was just there for a second. But think of all the suntan lotion you're saving. Although you need it in this weather more than ever. But you know what? It's okay because in three months uh, we'll get fall. Fall starts in three months. So anywho, enough about the weather, seeing how we're so spoiled here in Santa Barbara. But we are thrilled to welcome to the show Laurel Sykes who is the Executive Vice President and Chief Risk (laughs) Officer at American Riviera Bank. Laurel, thanks so much for taking the time with us today. Thank you for having me. So the first article is in today's Wall Street Journal, and it begins with uh, Jerome Powell uh, finds himself in a place no central banker wants to be, working to avert a credit crunch while calls for looser monetary policy while fighting high inflation, which demands the opposite. And and the article is talking about the tension between the issues of uh, how do we fight inflation when not only does high interest rates uh, possibly will cause a recession, but exacerbating the problem is the banking crisis. And uh, the banking industry has been suffering, particularly regional and uh, community banks, where they were uh, going too long on their bond portfolio and were squeezed when the Fed kept raising rates more than people expected. And as a result, there's a combination of uh, decline in uh, asset values if you mark to market the portfolio, and at the same time, an outflow of deposits because people are beginning to awaken to the fact that they can find higher interest rates than in their bank. And historically, that hasn't been the case. Historically, uh, bank deposits have been stickier and people were not that interested in changing their habits and taking money out of their checking account. But today people are, particularly with what happened at Silicon Valley Bank, are looking for higher yields and you know, there's a difference of a quarter of a percent versus 5% in money market accounts. And so you've got this combination of financial uh, instability among institutions that could be exacerbated if the Fed continues to raise rates. At the same time, the Fed is still concerned about inflation, which still seems to be running at a higher rate than the Fed would like. I think it's true, but um, I believe that there has been some talk from some of the um, Federal Reserve presidents across the country that they do not believe that they are going to raise rates this next meeting, which I believe is this week. That said, you know, anything is possible, but I I, I think that that's where they're at. They're happy with the um, with the inflation numbers coming down and, you know, they don't believe that they're going to need to raise again at this next meeting which I think will be some welcomed relief to well, yeah, well, one of the One of the things the article talks about at the end is even if rates don't come down, they're still too high for many banks. And so not raising rates is one thing, but not lowering rates could also be a problem for some financial institutions. And that I think is what makes the uh, dilemma particularly daunting for the Fed this time around. 
the next article is, was something I didn't really know existed. And it was in this weekend's Wall Street Journal, and it was entitled, What is a 40-Year Loan and How Does It Work? And apparently, some people over the last few years have been taking 40-year mortgages. And what the article does is it takes apart the arithmetic. And the motivation for taking, if you can get one, a 40-year mortgage is that it reduces your monthly payments. But they use an example here about what the cost of the reduced monthly payments is. And they give an example that if a buyer wants a $280,000 mortgage in a 30-year loan, let's say at 6.85%, the uh, interest payment over the life of the loan for a 30-year loan would be $380,000. If it were a 40-year loan, the interest payments would jump to uh, $555,000. So in this case, you would get a reduction of $95 a month in your monthly payment, but over the term of the loan, you would be paying almost $175,000 more in interest and have less amortization, which means you were building up less equity. So I don't know, don't know how many people are opting for 40-year mortgages so they can afford a house, but the arithmetic is is pretty negative as far as whether or not it makes sense economically. You know, I saw a lot of the 40-year loans um, during the, you know, big run-up in the market in the late 2000s, you know, uh, 2007, 2008 timeframe, there were quite a few 40-year mortgages going around. And it doesn't surprise me that it's, it's happening again as the real estate market is at a peak. It is somewhat um, when you do the arithmetic, yes, the amortization schedule, you know, you are paying more for that loan, but that could also be said for people who amortize over 15 or 20 years versus the 30-year mortgage. And so it really depends on what your cash flow is and how much you can afford, especially in a market like ours, Neil, where the, you know, the, the entry-level home price is quite steep. And oftentimes, you know, the salaries in Santa Barbara don't match that extraordinarily high hurdle to get you into that house. And so you have people having to consider that 40-year mortgage as at least a stopgap until either their wages rise or they can refinance at a lower rate, which is what we saw from, let's say, 2010 until, you know, 2020. Yeah, that's a good point. And in fact, I don't remember... I do remember from a long time ago, the average holding period for somebody who takes a mortgage is seven years until they move. And if that's still true, then it does make sense because you're getting a lower uh, payment for those seven years. It's the, it's the people that think they're going to hold it for 40 years where it doesn't make any sense. Um, the next article is about the uh, comeback in stock investing. And the article begins by talking about, this was in CNBC, and the article begins by talking about how in the recession of uh, 19, uh, 2007, uh, the amount of people investing in the stock market declined to 52%. And this year, it has gone up. In fact, uh, it's 61%, which is the highest level since 2008. And you know, obviously, part of the reason for that is that uh, the stock market has done so well over the last few years, but it has come back and it's now back to where, where it was. So those people that were saying people are no longer to invest in the stock market because of how devastating 2007 and 2008 was didn't, didn't come to pass. Well, I think that, you know, you Time have to keep in mind the emotion sales in update, the single family And so anytime you have a everyone out, everyone in, you know, it's not forever. And you know, people are, the market is ruled by fear and greed. And oftentimes the fear, you know, is much more um, strong of an emotion. And consequently, it takes them a, some time to get back in. But, you know, if you miss the 10 best trading days in any one year, you pretty much give up all of the return. And so you usually are best suited to sit at the table if you can afford to not take withdrawals during a downturn. Um, and oftentimes you're rewarded by holding the investment until it recovers and grows because that is what what we've seen you know you've seen it from whether it be 9-11 drop or we could start back to the dot-com bust to 9-11 drop to then the great recession to the 2011 you know greeks losing their money recession to 
you know, one could argue last year, you know, seeing technology take take a, a hard um, drop and lots of layoffs. So, you know, time is definitely your best friend while investing and you want to make sure you stay at the table. Absolutely. Good points. And the last article we have is from last Wednesday's property report in the Wall Street Journal, and it's talking about the commercial property loan a possible crunch. And um, it begins by saying nearly $1.5 trillion in commercial mortgages are coming due over the next three years. And uh, unlike home mortgages, uh, most of these loans that have been taken out in the last few years are interest only. Um, and so you've got um, loans that have really very little, uh, actually no amortization, and a combination of declining property values and banks' uh, lack of willingness to lend is going to cause, um, in, in this writer's opinion, a real crunch in commercial real estate. And it's like a you know a bad bad set of facts. If uh, if if banks can't lend uh, because um, they're being uh, restricted by how much money they have, and if uh, borrowers can't borrow because they can't afford to pay the higher interest rates, the value of the commercial properties on the books of the banks are going to go down more, which will you know, further erode the mark-to-market value of the, of the bank's balance sheets. I think that's true. And also in the commercial real estate space, I think that article is leaving out the, the fact that there are a lot of vacancies. As much as corporate America is pushing, you know, back into the office, there's some real hesitation on the employees part to go back on a five day schedule. And if you end up working a hybrid schedule, you end up having more space than you need. You know, I think what we should do is make sure that our next guest is someone in the risk management business of a bank, because it seems like that's really an issue. I, I don't know, just just thinking out loud. Uh, let's see what happens. We're we're uh, uh, we're money talk, and uh, we'll be back in a moment. It's a fact. Successful wealth management is built on strategies that focus on the big picture, take a long-term view, and establish deep and valued relationships. Hello, I'm Diane Duva, founding partner at Arlington Financial Advisors, Santa Barbara's trusted family guide, empowering you to make more informed and confident decisions. At Arlington Financial Advisors, we bring order and balance to your financial life by monitoring and managing risk so you can focus on your work, family, and enjoying the moment. We are a fully independent firm offering strategic financial planning, estate and tax planning, and private money management. Our plans and portfolios are handcrafted using a rigorous and disciplined approach, supported by a consistent yet highly personalized client experience. Our clients look to Arlington Financial Advisors as a home away from home, a comfortable place to protect what they've accomplished while they prepare for what comes next. Please visit ArlingtonFinancialAdvisors.com or call me, Diane Duva, at 805-699-7300. It's a fact. Successful wealth management is built on strategies that focus on the big picture, take a long-term view, and establish deep and valued relationships. Hello, I'm Diane Duva, founding partner at Arlington Financial Advisors, Santa Barbara's trusted family guide, empowering you to make more informed and confident decisions. At Arlington Financial Advisors, we bring order and balance to your financial life by monitoring and managing risk so you can focus on your work, family, and enjoying the moment. We are a fully independent firm offering strategic financial planning, estate and tax planning, and private money management. Our plans and portfolios are handcrafted using a rigorous and disciplined approach, supported by a consistent yet highly personalized client experience. Our clients look to Arlington Financial Advisors as a home away from home, a comfortable place to protect what they've accomplished while they prepare for what comes next. Please visit ArlingtonFinancialAdvisors.com or call me, Diane Duva, at 805-699-7300. Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by Arlington Financial Advisors, a leading wealth management firm founded on providing thoughtful, objective, and comprehensive financial guidance for families and entities who are seeking long-term financial confidence. And we can be reached at 805-564-1290, or you could email us at moneytalk1290 at gmail.com. 
So if you're just joining us, we have the pleasure of having the Executive Vice President and Chief Risk Officer at American Riviera Bank, Laurel Sykes, with us. Thanks so much for taking the time today, Laurel. Thank you for having me. So let's start off with how did you get to Santa Barbara and how did you become interested in risk management at the banking industry? I can't imagine as a little girl, you thought that's what you wanted to be when you grew up. <laughs> um, actually, I started in banking when I was still in high school and never left. So I, um, I'm a local fifth generation uh, from solving. And um, I was working at Wells Fargo as a senior at St. Inez High School and just never left. I, I continued to do banking um, throughout UCSB. And um, they had pulled me at the time I was working for Santa Barbara Bank and Trust. They had pulled me to um, work on the merger and acquisition team. And we were acquiring a little bank in Los Libos and um, Lompoc and Santa Maria. And I was assigned to the Vandenberg Village branch for a couple of months. And then when everybody was integrated, I didn't have a job left because they pulled me out of the banking network. Um, and this was back in 97, um, before compliance or risk management was a thing. But they had a posting for a compliance specialist um, to help them as they reached the billion dollar threshold. Um, so I applied and um, haven't looked back ever since. It's interesting. You'd think that this ro your role would be filled by an attorney, right? I'm actually going to law school right now. <laughs> oh, well, congratulations. Lifetime learner, right? Yeah, lifetime learner. Uh, I started in compliance, like I said, in 97. Um, and um, after a couple of years, became certified as a regulatory compliance manager. So I do have certifications in um, bank-specific laws and regulation. Um, but no license to practice. So no one calling me for, you know, free hours or anything. Um, but I started at uh, Florida State in January with a um, Juris Master's um, double major in human resources and financial regulation and compliance. Um, and it's it's that that um, schooling that I wish I had taken back in 1997 because it's everything I wanted to know back then, <laughs> but learned on the job. <laughs> Well, sometimes sometimes it's good to learn it first how it really happens and then learn it in the books, right? Well, we're wishing you the well, well on that. How long of a program is it? Uh, it's a three-year program, but I'm hoping to be done by the end of next summer. Wonderful. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, I'm sure this past uh, six months in, in the banking sector hasn't helped your studies move any more quickly, that's for sure. So with all the turmoil in the banking system, and particularly for that, you know, not the mega banks, but really the community banks and regional banks, um, can you explain to, to us how the interest rates rising at such a, a fast clip, how that works in terms of your reserves? So uh, first, I'd like to kind of segment the difference between community banks and the regionals, because I think by and large, the community banks have been doing what they've continued to do for years. Um, you know, we take deposits in, we loan them back within the community. Um, we don't venture out into, um, you know, areas of concentration like Silicon Valley. We're not, you know, only focusing on any one industry. We're focusing on our community at large. Um, and as interest rates rose for a long period of time, we didn't see any deposits leaving um, because people aren't only motivated by the rate they get on their deposits. Um, we did see some ebbs and flows in our deposit base, but nothing that um, wasn't manageable. And a lot of it, when we went back and did the analysis, was normal expected payments. It just so happened to be at the same time that Silicon Valley Bank was in the news. Um, we were seeing payments go out for taxes and for business distributions, um, primarily out of our business segment. But at the same time, we were seeing hundreds of new deposit accounts flooding in from all of these uh, regional banks. So the, the rates, as rates rise, it takes banks a while to start increasing rates. And they typically will do it when they have a need for um, liquidity and a need to keep those deposits. So long before we even looked at our interest rates, we were seeing crazy things happening in the community, um, including banks like um, First Republic, where they were 
doing um, CD promotions for four and a half percent before four was even cool. Um, so we were seeing a lot of, um, you know, crazy behavior um, as early as last year. And I think that's pretty well evened out. But uh, in, the, in, the, in the grand scheme of things, those banks that are proactive in risk management, um, that are diversified, and that pay attention to their clients and stay close to their clients in the community bank sector, we're going to be just fine. You know, no. some, of the, some of the politics of, of people who are in charge of risk management over the years has been fraught by uh, senior management ignoring them. Uh, and some of the horror stories about the last two recessions is, and even during, you know, uh, pe people like AIG, where the risk management people were, uh, uh, not put in a position where they could tell a senior lending officer not to do that. Is that a problem for, or how do you deal with that issue at, at the bank so that, uh, if you see something you don't like, no one can really go over your head. Uh, that's a great question, and it is interesting when you go back and look at some of the um, recent failures and the role that risk management did or didn't play. Um, and it's part of the reason why I joined American Riviera Bank. I was given an opportunity to sit on the executive team, um, and in my past lives, that has not been the case. I didn't have a seat at the table. I was uh, reporting up through somebody, and I had to hope that my warnings were heeded. Um, but here I sit at the table with everybody on a weekly basis with our CEO, our CFO, our chief credit officer, chief technology officer, and our chief operating officer. And um, it's a very interactive um, approach to management where uh, we raise issues um, that, that keep us up at night. And um, in the event that there's something that causes concern, there's typically data or metrics supporting it. So I think one of the... Um, best skills that a risk management person can have is the so what. You need to be able to communicate the impact of the issue that you're concerned about because everything that goes on in our own heads isn't necessarily visible to those that don't do it for a day-to-day -day living. So do you think it was a, a, a red, I guess when you evaluate other banks or when you look at them, like Silicon Valley Bank's chief risk officer left a good 18 or 15 months before the bank actually, you know, went into receivership. Was that a red flag when you saw that? Like how long does it, like yours sit vacant before a bank should be replacing? Oh, it, it really shouldn't. It really shouldn't. All, all banks that are well-run are going to have a succession plan. And within that succession plan, you have um, interim successors and you have permanent successors. So even in a situation where you might have to go outside to hire somebody else because you don't have the full expertise in-house, there should be um, you know, a risk management program that exists that can stand firm regardless of whether or not that seat is empty for a period of time. Um, but what's interesting is the, the Department of uh, Financial Protection and Innovation, uh, the DFPI, the, the California um, state re uh, regulatory agency for state member banks. Um, I'm sorry, state non-member banks. They just released their uh, report on the Silicon Valley Valley Bank failure. And in there, they noted that there actually was a chief risk officer. Um, I guess what had happened was um, the, the CRO was um, put on a temporary basis in some other role and the DFPI hadn't been told. Um, that there had been a change in management. So that was kind of a failure on their part to not pay attention to who was on the executive team and who was coming and going. And regulators are always asking us that. Has there been change or turnover in your positions? Um, has there been a change on your board? So it, it, yes, a red flag, um, but that person was actually um, employed by them until October um, of last year. And just because that person is no longer there doesn't necessarily mean the bank wasn't heeding their warnings. It could have just been the person wasn't well equipped to do risk management. It's such a broad area in banking. Um, and a lot of us come from specialty areas. You know, my first love is consumer compliance and regulation. Um, but I've over the last 30 plus years um, learned risk management as a you know, as a discipline in all kinds of areas. And I think the most important thing, 
the most important red flag out of all of that was going back and looking and noting that they hadn't been tracking their key risk metrics, their key risk indicators, looking at emerging risks. Um, they were really truly focused on short-term profitability. And each of the reports that you've you've seen from the state and from the Fed themselves have um, shown a lot about what good risk management is or is not. You, you know, what's really telling is that the, um, the Fed has admitted that part of the problem wasn't the banks, it was their own internal Fed uh, uh, failures. And so it was a combination of not only, you know, internal controls, but people who were watching the store uh, weren't watching it correctly. You're listening to Money Talk on AM 1290 and FM 96.9, and we'll be right back. When you're farming a vineyard, you have 180 days to bring about a certain quality for the eventual wine. With a bank like American Riviera Bank, it's really comforting to have a partner that understands the agricultural landscape. Having people that communicate quickly with us, that are able to be flexible in how we're doing our business on a day-to-day -day basis has been a real strength in what we bring to our client base. You can bank on American Riviera. We do. American Riviera Bank. Bank on better. We need your help. Local Vietnam Veterans Chapter 218 have a Huey that needs a new home. The distinctive sound of the oncoming Huey is beloved by all who served in Vietnam. It provided food, mail, medevacs, ammo, and more. It meant everything to ground pounders who needed the help. And now we need your help to find this iconic Huey a new home. Maybe a place for a 24-7 display or a long-term commitment. If you want to find out how you can help, you can call Ed at 805-770-0979. Again, that's 805-770-0979. Or you can go to the local chapter of vvachapter218.org slash Huey. And you can hear the sound and you can hear all the other details about this significant bird. And again, that's vvachapter218.org slash Huey. This is the place that talks about Santa Barbara. Skyview. Community Matters. Radio Real Estate. Money Talk. The Andy Caldwell Show. Teen Sports Radio. Community Alert. Mortgage Matters. Welcome to the Voices. 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 Voices of Santa Barbara. The CEO Report. CSUCI presents About Education. The Farm to Table Hour. Around the World. The Jeremiah Show. The Art and Antiques Radio Show. Garden Gossip. Cork and Fork Radio Show. Tell me your story. It's radio with TV's Tim Stack. KZSB. The Santa Barbara News Press Radio Station. Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by American Riviera Bank, making your life easier with cutting-edge technology, mobile deposits, free use of every ATM machine in the country, and a level of service other banks can only dream about. And we can be reached at 805-564-1290, or you could email us at moneytalk1290 at gmail.com. So, Laurel, let's start this segment off with how is American Riviera Bank different from these other banks, whether it, not only the Silicon Valley banks of the world, but also, you know, just other larger banks? And I know you touched on it briefly last um, segment, but if we could just give you an opportunity to say that again. Sure. Well, I mean, first of all, there is definitely a difference between uh, your local community bank and the regionals. Um, you know, we're 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 staffed with people that are expert in the community. They understand the financial needs of their clients and they're close to their clients. They know when a client is considering moving money out of the bank. Um, they know when a client is considering financing their next building. Um, and because of that uh, community banking relationship, you just have a better, um, a better shot at, at managing risks for your organization. But I think for us, um, one of the things that sets us apart is we're very proactive in our approach to risk management. Um, we do things before we need to. I was brought on board um, to help the bank exceed the billion dollar asset threshold two years before we even did it. Um, last year in early 2022, we hired a treasurer um, specifically to manage our uh, securities portfolio and our asset and liability management um, when we never had that role in the past because of the size 
Um, we don't maintain significant depositors as we've uh, talked about before. We don't have a, a certain segment or industry that we go after. Um, we maintain liquidity. Like Unlike a lot of banks, we've been able to uh, be liquid by um, holding core deposits rather than going out to the market and taking down brokered CDs. Um, and you know, when clients bring their money to us, we turn around and lend that money locally and it, they're, they're part of the economic engine that makes this area go. Um, and you know, on top of that, as a community bank and because of our corporate mission, we're committed to doing what's right for the community. And um, we set out a goal a couple of years back during COVID to increase our, our volunteerism amongst our staff because so much had been impacted by the, the government shutdowns. Um, so we said, well, wouldn't it be great if 40% of our employees volunteered their time to nonprofits? And lo and behold, in the first year we achieved that, um, over 40% of our employees board and management are volunteering for nonprofits and local organizations at this time. And they did over 3,200 hours in 2022 alone. So I think, I think it's, it's knowing your customer, um, it's knowing the communities that you serve, and it's giving back. And that's really what sets a community bank apart from um, some of the regionals. Not that they're not doing all the same great things, it just becomes harder to manage as you become more spread out um, and you can't just hop in the car and drive to the next location. And so as part of that, you know, when you when you look to your depositors and uh, there has been a scramble at this point, um, you know, for people who have been carrying over two hundred and fifty thousand dollars with the FDIC insurance for people to either diversify or figure out how to, you know, does the trust account, how many beneficiaries, you know, how much am I actually covered for? You know, do you see the FDIC actually looking to increase those limit amounts, or do you think we'll stay by stay at the two hundred and fifty thousand dollar per person um, maximum insurance? Uh, it's certainly possible. You never know with regulators. Um, but on the first of May, the FDIC did issue an, an overview of the deposit insurance system, um, and they gave some options for financial reform to address the concerns stemming from the recent failures. Um, and they gave three options. One is um, limited coverage, like we have now, maintaining the original $250,000 um, per depositor by ownership and by capabilities like you discussed. Um, they also suggested unlimited coverage to all depositors, which we all know is not likely to happen. Um, there's no way that banks could confront the money to pay for all of that. And the third option was targeted coverage where they might increase or make different limits possible for businesses, where business payment accounts um, receive significantly higher coverage um, because it's those accounts that are gonna need to maintain more than $250,000 just to fund payroll, for example. And I think that's one of the things you saw with Silicon Valley Bank is businesses inability to continue to fund their operations and fund their payroll um, because of um, the potential that they weren't gonna get the uh, insurance, they weren't gonna get the, the money back on any deposits over that amount. And what they said in that release was that they do believe that target approach is the best option. And so uh, when that when that FDIC insurance, if it does change for any reason, you know, whether it be cover businesses, increase, decrease, whatever it may be, does that have to go through Congress or does FDIC do, do, does the Fed get to do that on their own as an independent agency? So the FDIC is different than the Federal Reserve. Um, they're, you know, obviously right. the, the, trip. the Yeah. Yeah. And, and they've been issuing um, FDIC insurance coverage rules since the beginning of time. In fact, there's a couple of changes even happening in January. Um, so it would be something that they could um, come out and do, obviously not without um, a lot of, of, um, uh, commentary. Typically, when the FDIC issues any sort of a regulatory announcement, um, they'll issue proposed regulation and a public comment period. So it'll all be dependent on um, how quickly that works. Which which makes sense. So it does not need to be approved by Congress in any way. That's the the real question. The Treasury can act independently and almost unilaterally. Yes, with public comment. Well. 
Well, I'm not talking about the Treasury. I'm talking about the FDIC, um, the Federal Depository, Federal Depository Insurance Corporation that that manages FDIC for banks. So they can do it unilaterally. They don't need any governmental um, approval. They issue uh, regulation, correct? Perfect. So now uh, at the bank, how do you determine what interest rate you're going to pay depositors? What I'm sure it's some complicated, you know, algorithm. But when when banks choose to high, high, you know, lower or raise the interest rate that they pay depositors, what goes into that decision? Uh, a lot of things. And as I mentioned previously, we didn't immediately start increasing rates when the Fed did. Um, there's usually a delay in the time period that banks make that change. Um, but we we have regular reports that come out almost almost daily on our depositor inflows and outflows and what's going on. We collect competitive data. Um, and then once a month, our management team gets together in a management um, asset and liability committee. And we look at um, where our deposits sit. We look at our loan pipeline to figure out how much money we need to fund loans that are happening in the next 30 to 60 days. And um, it's an art more than a science, but I think we've done a really good job as a bank in managing um, our cost of funds uh, and not doing anything um, preemptively that that might um, impact us in other ways um, and impact our ability to maintain those deposits. But obviously we do want to keep our deposits local. We do want to encourage clients to, to bank, lo- bank local and keep their money um, here. Um, but we do have options for liquidity outside of the deposit base that we maintain. You're listening to Money Talk on AM 1290 and FM 96.9, and we'll be right back. What defines our community? Is it the people? The businesses? Is it the ranches, vineyards, and farms? We think it's all of those, and we're committed to helping our communities thrive. Homeowners existing and new, Businesses looking to grow or bring up the next generation. Our regional agriculture managing their seasons, crops, and livestock. We're American Riviera Bank, and we invest in our communities. In you. When Dad needed help getting around, I became his driver. Any daughter would do the same. But soon enough, he needed help doing more things, and it was up to me to be his personal shopper and financial manager, too. And before I knew it, Dad moved in with me. So I became his cook, his personal assistant, his physical therapist, and even his nurse. When I started taking care of Dad, I didn't realize all the roles I'd have to play. But no matter what, I know I'm still his daughter. We understand the many roles you play. And to help, we created an online caregiving resource center at aarp.org caregiving You can find resources and connect with the caregiving community. Together, we can better care for ourselves and the ones we love. Visit aarp.org slash caregiving to learn more. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. June is National Dairy Month, observed since 1937, noting the quality and nutritional benefits of refrigerated dairy products and Americans seize on those benefits, consuming more dairy products than any other food group except fruits and vegetables. On average, we consume 646 pounds annually, including 39 pounds of cheese, 23 pounds of ice cream and sherbet, and 154 pounds of milk. Profile America is a public service of the U.S. Census Bureau. Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by Arlington Financial Advisors, a leading wealth management firm founded on providing thoughtful, objective, and comprehensive financial guidance for families and entities who are seeking long-term financial confidence. And if you'd like to reach out to us, where we can be reached at 805-564-1290, or you could email us at moneytalk1290 at gmail.com. So, Laurel, as the chief risk officer and in honor of, you know, elder abuse awareness, you know, share with us some red flags that you watch for in elder abuse in the banking system. So, yes, it's um, National Elder Abuse Awareness Month, 
And on the 15th, we celebrate World Elder Abuse Awareness Day. Um, so obviously, we've got a lot in play that we're looking at um, to get the word out and to make people more aware of some of the things that are going on. Um, but there's a couple of red flags that our, our frontline staff are trained to watch for. Um, things like maybe a new person in their life that's coming in to bring them to the bank. Um, maybe they're being coerced or seem confused about a transaction um, and that, that caregiver is making them seem fearful or, or um, submissive. Um, maybe we see changes in their financial patterns. Maybe they're on an overdraft list when they've never been before. Um, or we're seeing a series of checks payable to a nonprofit for an even dollar amount, things like that. Um, foreign wires are always a red flag um, when an older person comes in to ask for money to be sent. Um, checks payable to cash. We see a lot of people coming in to cash um, and then taking it across the street and buying gift cards, for example. Um, requests to change legal documents, maybe a power of attorney when they haven't had one before. And then always paying attention to the discussion with that frontline staff. We always ask for the purpose of these types of transactions. And there are certain buzzwords, things like it's for a friend or it's a private matter um, or it's to pay taxes or investments or winnings, things like that. Um, so those are the kinds of things that we watch for and um, that our that our frontline staff are trained to look for. And so let's let's have an example. So somebody comes into your your branch and has a, a interaction that causes a red flag with a frontline worker. What are the next steps that you have in place? What does that frontline you know teller whomever say do and and can you really stop it? That's a great question, and I wish um, we could stop it in every case. It's, it's oftentimes a very challenging conversation because these fraudsters have gotten really um, adept at creating a story that's believable um, or prepping the, the, the client on what to say if you're asked by the bank. Um, I think the, the best way to stop is um, to try and have that conversation and try to point out the red flags. Um, we have access to the blog posts and handouts and, um, you know, cash warnings that will let the senior know this is something we've seen in the past. It doesn't look right. Um, our, our branches are really involved. Um, we worked a case just about a year ago where they would go into one of our branches almost on a weekly basis to say, is this a legitimate request? And really leaned on the branch to um, help them discern between some of these deceitful actions and what was, what was real. So I, I think, again, it's it's having those conversations and it's explaining it to them in a way that helps them understand that it's not just them, that it's pervasive and that they aren't the only one that has fallen prey. So now if you have a, if you, if you, can you, I guess the real question is, can you reach out to a loved one or a family member in that situation? If you, if you see a fraud taking advantage of an elderly person. Are you able to do that or is it the privacy rules preventing you from doing that? And is there something a client can do if there are to put in place a trusted contact? That's a great question. Um, unfortunately, in the banking industry, the whole idea of a trusted contact is not something that's um, that's part of a, a, a legal requirement at this time. Um, FINRA has those rules out there for broker dealers where they're required on every transaction um, or every new relationship to ask for a trusted advisor or trusted contact. In banking, it becomes a little touchier though, because then who are you asking for that um, trusted contact from? Are you only asking it of people that appear to be of a certain age? Are you doing unilaterally across the board? Because we also get into fair banking challenges. Um, and to your point, no, we can't just call up the, the family member um, because of privacy reasons unless they're a signer on the account. Um, so really what we do is we uh, work closely with law enforcement when we suspect that a senior is falling prey. And then law enforcement can be the one to do the, the contacting of people that are outside of band. Um, but wherever possible, um, it's, it's 
it's a good practice to have someone, um, even if it's only read-only access to your online banking, to have someone that um, can help and can help you watch watch your finances. And so what, for people listening, what should they do if they suspect a neighbor, a friend, a family member, you know, falling victim to elder fraud? Um, I think the best thing that they can do is um, contact the bank. Now, the bank's not always going to be able to give them information, but it gives us a hint that something's going on. And then once we've reported it to Adult Protective Services, um, we can then get law enforcement involved. Um, and a lot of times, some of our most successful um, attempts to prevent fraud have happened where the DA's office is able to go visit a client or where the sheriff's station does so. Um, because once they see that there's someone there that is in a position to know that it's fraud, um, they sometimes will listen more. But Adult Protective Services is always a great place to start. We're actually doing a blog post on the 15th with all kinds of resources, phone numbers to call, um, where to report, red flags, and the like. So I encourage everybody to be watching out for arb.bank and just visit our idea vault. Is this a problem uh, of any substance or is it, you know, one or two a year or do you see a lot of this type of behavior? We see an awful lot of this type of behavior. Um, in fact, we're probably logging at least one to two cases a month, if not a week um, here at American Riviera Bank. Um, and I think the the scary thing is the the FBI comes out with regular reports on this. Um, and they just released the 2022 um, elder fraud report, um, and they reported more than 88,000 victims over the age of 50 um, with losses of $3.1 billion. Um, they, they had tech support scams, um, confidence scams, uh, romance scams. It, it's across the board, and it's, it's really become a problem. Uh, you're listening to Money Talk on AM 1290 and FM 96.9, and we'll be right back with our final segment. Our family has been here in over 30 years. We've always been in the hospitality business. So when we're looking for a bank to finance our deal, American Rivera actually stepped up for us. They know Santa Barbara well. Right now, we don't have any plan to open another hotel, but if we do in the future, we'll be talking to American Riviera Bank for sure. You can bank on American Riviera. We do. American Riviera Bank, bank on better. The following is made possible by dad. Why was the basketball court all wet? Because the players kept dribbling all over it. <laughs> the dad joke. Corny, groan-worthy, but also one of the simplest ways to share a moment with your kids. Why do you have to be careful when it's raining cats and dogs? Because you might step in a poodle. <laughs> and kids that spend more time with their dads grow up to be smarter, more successful. Can I tell you a cat joke? Just kidding. <laughs> and with any luck funnier adults. Why didn't the skeleton go to the dance? Because he didn't have anybody to go with. Dad jokes rule. So take a moment to make a moment and give your kid a laugh. <laughs> it's as easy as going to fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. <laughs> That's really funny. Man, do I love card night. You ready, boys? You got a king? Go fish that! Oh, come on! <laughs> this is WWE superstar Titus O'Neil. It only takes a moment to make a moment. Take time to be a dad today. Learn more at 877-4DAD-411 or visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by American Riviera Bank, making your life easier with cutting-edge technology, mobile deposits, free use of every ATM machine in the country, and a level of service other banks can only dream about. And so, Laurel, what other types of fraud are you seeing in our community that people should be aware of? 
That's a great question. Uh, in addition to the elder financial abuse scams that we're seeing, we've seen a huge uptick um, in stolen checks that result in counterfeited checks or fraudulent checks. Um, when we talked about the elder financial abuse cases and the most recent elder report, the average loss per older adult was about $35,000. But these stolen check instances, we're seeing counterfeit checks of $80,000, $90,000. And fortunately, um, you know, we're a bank that maintains um, fraud prevention and controls and can a lot of times detect that the check is um, bad and contact the customer and get it returned. But it's gotten so prevalent that the uh, FinCEN, um, one of the uh, regulatory bodies that, that governs, you know, anti-money laundering and criminal activity through banks, um, they issued an alert to financial institutions about the increase in check fraud mainly because these, these items are being stolen from not just the mailboxes, but also from the mail carriers themselves. Um, and once they get a, a hold of your mail, they open all your bills that you've paid um, and they either counterfeit those checks or they acid wash them and, and make them their own. Um, so it's something really to pay attention to because that's really been um, on the rise. I talked about our, um, our blog at ARB.bank, the idea of all. In the past, um, we have some um, posts on there about elder financial abuse, as well as check fraud and other things that you can uh, pay attention to to keep yourself safe. And so you, you as the bank actually have, you catch most, most of these checks that are, that are counterfeited. What happens to, let's say it didn't get caught, what does a person do? If, if a bank doesn't doesn't catch it, let's say it's a normal amount for that client or it's within range for their serial numbers, it's not going to pop on an alert. Um, so the best thing that that our business owners can do is uh, monitor their activity on a daily basis um, or at least weekly, because under the, the UCC, as long as they have reported fraud on their account within 60 days of that statement going out to the client, they have remedies to get the money back. And then the bank works with the, the bank who paid the money um, to retrieve that amount back for the client. That's hugely helpful because as you know, most, most individuals are using electronic transfers and what have you, most businesses still have to write checks. And so it's important to note that you, you really need to be on your ledger and making sure that you're tracking and, and reconciling with your bank statement. Yeah, and you can use um, online banking these days to do bill payment, and those checks will get cut automatically through the bill payment service or ACH to pay your taxes or your payroll services. Uh, we also have a service called Positive Pay, which you basically upload a list of the checks that you've authorized. And if the system doesn't recognize that check when it tries to post, you have to go in and approve it before the bank will pay it. So Positive Pay has been huge for our clients that have experienced fraud. That sounds that sounds great. It's, so it's positive pay, and is that something unique to just American Riviera Bank, or is that something that's um, for small banks across the country? Uh, I think a lot of banks are offering it now. Uh, we just uh, started offering ACH positive pay as well, so you can upload your ACH transactions to make sure they're legitimate. So that might be something that's a little different, um, but but yeah, uh, check through positive pay is definitely a great option. Thank you, Laura Sykes, Executive Vice President of American Riviera Bank. Uh, thank you for sponsoring the show. Thank you for really helping us understand what makes the bank different. And thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Money Talk, and we'll see you all next week. <laughs>